Hey, I might be really bad. You don't know. All right. Um, thank you so much. Um, it's, it's such an honor for me to be here. Um, and, and I don't say that because that's what the speaker, the guest speaker is supposed to say. Uh, he, here's what you may not know about me. I remember when Soul City Church was just an idea that God had planted in the hearts of Jeannie and Jared. And uh, to hear them talk about this and to hear them kind of, you know, leap out in faith, to, to move back to Chicago from Atlanta. You know, Atlanta's a very comfortable town. There's nothing uncomfortable about Atlanta other than the fact that we eat grits, which is kind of uncomfortable. But other than that, it, it's a town that everybody kind of, you know, it's a comfortable town. So for them to come back and to, to, to I mean, this is just an absolute miracle. It really is. And, you know, I'm kind, of a, I'm a kind of a skeptical pastor. I don't use the word miracle a whole lot. But this is a miracle. That's why I've been going around and just touching things today. Like, wow, this is real. And, and this morning, a lot of people got freaked out because I was just like touching them. Like, no, you're real. <laughs> You're, you're, you're real. This is real. And it's just absolutely phenomenal. And I just want to tell you that you already know this, but Jarrett and Jeannie are two of the finest leaders, uh, two of the finest people, and two of the finest Christ followers I know. And I know a lot of people. And they are just absolutely phenomenal. So if you're here for the first time and you've just been tracking for a few weeks, um, you should entrust yourself to their leadership because they're entrusting themselves to Jesus. And uh, as an advisory board member of this church, I just want to tell you, I'm very well pleased. So let's, let's keep doing this thing, all right? So let's get back together on Sunday next week. So this is great. Um, well, tonight, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, what we're going to do. Um, and uh, yesterday, I actually had to suffer for Jesus. I went to Wrigley Field, you know, and, and it was tough, you know. But, uh, but I love it. I'm actually a Cubs fan from Atlanta, so I love it. And I was telling my family they'd never been to Wrigley Field, and my kids had never been to Wrigley Field. Wendy has been before. So we went, and it was just like, isn't this awesome? Isn't this awesome? And I told my kids, I said, but kids, they haven't won a World Series since 1908. I mean, they've been waiting a long time. And with all due respect, I don't think this is the year uh, <laughs> either, okay? And so that's a long time to wait for a World Series, right? And the reason I bring that up is tonight I want to talk about waiting, because none of us like to wait for anything, right? We don't like to wait for a World Series. We don't like to wait in the doctor's office. We don't like to wait in the dentist. Uh, we don't like to wait for the grocery store line. In fact, don't you do this when you go to the grocery store and you come up and you, there's a line? What do you do? You try to figure out which is the fastest one, right? You ever do that number? Uh, my wife and I, we love going to movies. And so uh, we've got this game now where if we go to the popcorn line and there's lines, like we don't stay in the same line. We split up to see if we can get, you know, which, which line's faster. And it's like a race, you know, and, and whoever gets to the one the fastest, the other one has to pay for the popcorn. So that's cool because we just don't like to wait for anything. So in this microwave society of, hey, I want it now, I want it now, you and I just don't enjoy waiting. But the reason I bring that up is I want to talk about something that's far more significant as a, as a pastor, as just a friend, as just... Somebody who loves people. I've heard and heard story after story of people who find themselves in what I call one of life's waiting rooms. Life waiting rooms such as this, that they've gone through a career transition perhaps. The company was downsized or, or something happened and they now find themselves updating their resume, trying to find that next career uh, connection. And they find themselves in a career waiting room. Or they were in a relationship and they were heading down the road and maybe this is Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright and they're, they're thinking this is the one and for some reason the relationship dissolves and they find themselves kind of ushered back and now they're in the relationship waiting room and they're waiting and they're thinking, will I ever get out of the relationship waiting room? In fact, I have a friend of mine, he has a daughter a couple of summers ago, no lie, she in a span of 16 weeks, she was in nine weddings, nine bridesmaids dresses. 
which means that she was a third of the way there to starring in the sequel to 27 Dresses, right? <laughs> and so at some point, I don't know if it was wedding number two, I don't know if it was wedding number five, I don't know if it was wedding number seven, but at some point as she's waving goodbye to her friend who's gotten into the limo with her and her brand new husband, she had to turn around and think, God, when is my opportunity? When do I get to meet Mr. Wright? When do I get to go in the limo and drive away with my new husband? When do I get out of the relationship waiting room? Or maybe it's a baby. You're, you're waiting to have a baby, and it seems like your sister's had her third baby, and you're just still trying to have your first, and you find yourself in that waiting room. Or maybe it's a health issue, and you, the doctor can't figure it out, and, and you're, you've got this health issue, and you're in the waiting room literally and figuratively. And whatever it may be, all of us, at one time or another, part of your life and part of my life, this is what we all share. We may come from different places, but what we all share is that we all have stories where we found ourselves in the waiting room. And the truth is, if you don't find yourself there tonight, you'll be back in there. Because it's just a part of, part of life. And see, here's what happens when we find ourselves in the waiting room. We don't want anyone to come up and tell us that, hey, it builds our character and it builds patience. And we don't want anyone to tell us what to do while we wait. Here's what we want to know. Here's the question we want to know. We want to know, when do we get out of here? When do I get the job? When do I get the husband? When do I get the wife? When do we get the baby? When do I get to come home with my family? When do I get out of the waiting room? So we begin to process some really good questions, okay? These are good questions to ask. Questions such as, should I update my resume? Should I consider a different career? Should I ask her out? Should I go out with him? Should we consider infertility treatments? Whatever it may be, we begin to process some really good questions, but as we process these questions, isn't it true that, if, that there, there's this resentment that kind of rises up in us? Because we look at other people and it seems like that they've got the job and they've got the baby and they've got the marriage and they've got you know, their household and mine's still trying to sell and all that kind of stuff. And there's a resentment that rises up, not necessarily at them, but at God. And we may not say this question out loud, but have you ever felt like this? Have you ever asked, felt like asking this question as you've been in a season of waiting? Have you ever kind of wanted to look up and go, God, have you forgotten about me? Because it sure seems like you, if you've not forgotten about me, it sure seems like you're paying more attention to somebody else than you are to me. God, have you forgotten me? You ever been there? Or maybe this is your first time back in church in, in quite a while. Maybe you grew up in church and you're back. And maybe the reason you kind of walked away is because you tried it and nothing seemed to happen. And it seemed like God was more interested in other people than he was to you. And it seemed like God had kind of forgotten you. And I just want to tell you tonight, if you've ever felt that way, if you feel that way now, you know what? That doesn't offend God. He's not surprised by that. It's okay to say that. People tell me, can we say these things out loud? I say, you can, because God already knows. <laughs> because he's God. He's that good. But here's the great news. You know this book, the Bible? You know what it's full of? It's full of stories of people who found themselves in seasons of waiting. In fact, every single major character in the Bible went through some some form or fashion, season of, season of waiting. And at some point, they, they wondered, God, where are you? At some point, they said, God, it seems like 
You're silent. Why have you gone silent? Why have you seemingly left me here? It's okay to ask that. And do you know why it's okay to ask that? One of the reasons it's okay to ask that is because of the totality of the story. That what we see is people begin to process and go through a waiting room. There, there's something true about the character and nature of God, and you've got to hold on to this. Especially if you find yourself tonight in a season of waiting, you've got to hold on to this, okay? And this is true about God. This is what the pages of the Bible record. This is what the pages of history record. And this is what you can go to the bank on as it relates to your heavenly Father. Okay, this is a truth about Him as it relates to you, as it relates to His people. Here's the truth. God has never forgotten His people. God never will forget His people. And He's not going to start with you. In fact, that was pretty good, wasn't it? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get an amen. I'm going to say that again, and I'm going to get an amen. I don't know if you grew up in an amen church or not. I did, so let's try it, okay? I'll probably never be invited back. That's okay, but we're going to go for it, all right? Here we go. God never will forget his people. God never has forgotten his people, and he's not going to start with you. That's what I'm talking about right there, okay? And here's why that's true. It's because story after story after story says that there's a promise for those who will choose to wait upon the Lord. And here's what God is doing while we wait, okay? God's not forgotten about you. Please don't miss this. God's not forgetting you. God is preparing you. Don't miss this. God's not forgetting you. God is preparing you. Every single person in the Bible who went through a season of waiting, do you know what God was doing? He was preparing them. He was preparing them for His plan. God's not forgotten about you. God's preparing you. But here's your choice, okay? You have to choose this. No one can choose this but you. You have to come to the crossroads that you're in when you find yourself in a season of waiting and you have to answer one of these two questions. Am I going to choose to believe that God is forgetting me? And that leads to a pathway, okay? That's your choice. Or am I going to choose to believe that God is preparing me? It's a completely different pathway. And I've come from Atlanta, Georgia. And forgive me if I say y'all here in a little while. But I've come to encourage you, to preach to you, to, to inspire you to do whatever I can through God's power to say, don't go down the road of choosing that God's forgetting you. That's a dark, lonely path. Choose right now to believe that God is preparing you. And if you'll choose that road tonight, I want to tell you what to do while you wait. While you find yourself in that season of waiting, whether it's career, relationship, whatever it may be, I want to tell you what to do while you wait. And the great news is today, I want to point you to a biblical character who found himself in a season of waiting. And as he found himself in the season of waiting, he did three things that I think are incredibly important, and I want to point you to that today. In fact, let me just tell you about this biblical character. There's so many people that I could choose from in terms of trying to choose people who've been in a season of waiting, but tonight I chose uh, a couple, uh, a couple that if you've ever felt like God's forgotten you when, in a season while you wait, this couple, <laughs> they can understand and relate. If you've ever wanted to take things into your own hands while you found yourself in a season of while while you wait, this couple uh, can understand and relate. In fact, they did that a couple of times. But if you've ever wondered, God, where are you? This couple understands that. 
But in the midst of their waiting, they did something. And I want to point you to what they did, particularly the man tonight, uh, as he was in this season of waiting. And this couple is Abraham and Sarah. If you know the, the story of Abraham and Sarah, uh, long, long story short, let me just boil it down. God basically looks at the world, and the world is a mess, and sin is in the world. And it comes to Abram, who, Abraham, is, his name was later changed to Abraham. He said, Abram, here's the deal. I'm going to start all over, and I'm going to start through you and your wife. I'm going to build a, a powerful nation that will ultimately result in the Savior of the world. And I'm going to bring salvation to the world through you and your descendants. And when he said the word descendants or offspring, it caught Abram's attention because he and his wife Sarai could not have children. And so when God said, you're going to have an offspring, you're going to have a descendant, suddenly there was a promise there and Abram leaned into that. And they had a discussion. And so Abram goes home apparently to Sarai and says, hey, uh, we're going to have kids. This is going to be great. And so a year goes by and there's, there's no kids. And two years go by, there's no kids. Three years, four years. Five years, there's no kids, and it's and it, probably year five, it just seems like the calendar just begins to fly. And they begin to wonder, <laughs> where are you? Why am I in this season of waiting? And as they were in this season of waiting, Abraham does something, and I, wanna, I think it's a pattern for us. And, and just so you know, this, this pattern of, of what to do while you wait, I, I've kind of come up with this acronym. It's called GPS, and it's a directional guide. You get it? It's kind of cheesy. See? This went well. This went great gangbusters over in the South. They just loved it. But um, here, here in Chicago, y'all are too intelligent for this. But, but I've, got, I've, got, I've got one word that starts with G. I've got one word that starts with P. I've got one word that starts with S. Okay, it's really cute. But here's what I want you to know. I think when you walk away tonight, if someone were to ask you, what would you do this weekend? You say, hey, I went to Soul City Church. Okay, what did what, we talk about? What did they talk about? What did they talk about what you do while you wait? Oh, okay, what do you do while you wait? You're going to know, because I want you to carry this. And not only that, just so you know, you're going to have a little homework assignment this week, because I'm actually going to challenge you to do this, not sometime in the future. Hey, if you get inspired, no, in the next seven days, I'm going to ask you to do this. It's really simple, but I think once you do this and follow this pattern from the Scriptures, it will follow you, and it will allow you to lean in toward the road that says, God's preparing me, God's preparing me, God's preparing me. So having said all that, I want us to look at this pattern. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, we're going to turn to uh, Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, the wonderful folks at Soul City has, have given you a Bible. And uh, you can take that for free on your way home. By the way, don't you love a church that not only gives away Bibles, but has a concierge? Isn't that cool? I love that. So that's a great idea. I dropped off some cleaning uh, in the afternoon, so that was, that was great. Okay, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, there are a lot of verses. Don't be intimidated by that. We're going to kind of dive in, and I'm going to speed through these. But um, basically, we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. And uh, the Lord has, has appeared to Abram. He's told him this promise, and then this is, uh, Abram's about to go on a journey. But what he does, and our first word that starts with a G, is really, I think, very, very helpful. Let's, we'll pick this up in verse 7, chapter 12. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So there's the promise. So he, Abram, built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, don't miss that. He built an altar there. So he built this little, I don't know exactly what it is with stones or whatever, but he built this altar there to remind him of this. Verse 8. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built, here he goes again, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. 
that Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. And then flip over to chapter 13, verse 3. From the Negev, he went from place to place. So Abram's traveling around. He's doing what he does. He's doing his everyday life. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There it is again. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, what's the big deal here? This is a brilliant idea. This is huge. And let me explain what he's doing here. Abram builds this altar, and he reminds himself that this is the promise that God has made me, and the promise is is that God's not leaving me. God is leading me. And that's a promise that's extended to you, by the way. God's not going to leave you. He's going to lead you, all right? So he has this altar. That altar reminds him of that. He's traveling around. He does what he does, like you and I do what we do. He builds another altar. And then as he's traveling back, he bumps, literally bumps into this altar, and he, he's reminded, oh, here it is. Here's the promise of God. The promise of God is that he's not going to leave me. He's going to lead me. And as he bumps into this, what I call an altar of gratitude, it puts his perspective in the right way. Here's why this is important. You see, we all share this. You've got your set of circumstances. I've got my set of circumstances. Jarrett and Jeannie have their set of circumstances. And you might come in tonight overwhelmed by your set of circumstances. And if we're able to talk after the services, you could, service, you could explain to me why your set of circumstances can be overwhelming. I'm not trying to belittle that at all. But here's where we are. If we don't remind ourselves in a systematic, regular way about who God is and God's past faithfulness, we leave ourselves vulnerable because our circumstances get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and more overwhelming, more overwhelming, more overwhelming, and God gets smaller, 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 smaller. It's why some of us tonight, we came in probably overwhelmed. You know what the antidote to that is? It's real simple, but it's not easy. The antidote is to simply be remindful, to to be mindful and to remind yourself of God's past faithfulness. And when you don't do that, the circumstances get bigger and bigger and bigger, and God gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And I may not know your circumstances, but I know this. God's bigger than your circumstances. God's bigger than whatever is overwhelming you. So let me ask you, how in your life are you building altars of gratitude that as you're going through your daily course of life, you bump in into these altars of gratitude and they remind you, look, God is big. He's bigger than this. He's not leaving me. He's leading me. How do you do that? It's incredibly important because if you don't do this, especially in a season of waiting, you leave yourself vulnerable. Let me give you a couple of examples of this. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm a preacher's kid, and I, uh, I, I love my parents, but I never thought I'd be doing this. Being, you know, I went, I went into uh, uh, the business world. I did marketing and advertising, and uh, you know, I can remember promising, telling God, you know, I would never, ever, ever, never, ever work at a church ever. I will never do that. And here I am. Um, I recently told God, I will never be a billionaire, God. Never, ever, never, <laughs> ever going to do that. So we're going uh, to see how he's going to deal with that one. But, um, but here I am. I'm a church guy now. And, and um, I, uh, before I uh, went on church staff at the church that Jeannie and Jarrett and I worked at, um, I worked in marketing, sports marketing. It was a little company in Atlanta. Not little anymore. Uh, Chick-fil-A. I understand you just got a Chick-fil-A restaurant in Chicago. So, yeah, yeah. 
That's the most excited y'all have gotten yet tonight. That's great. So praise the Lord and eat more chicken. So I, I, worked, I worked for Chick-fil-A and loved it. Um, but long story short, uh, my wife Wendy and I, um, eight years ago, felt like God was leaving, asking or leading us to leave Chick-fil-A, a comfortable job, a great company that's doing nothing but you know, going places uh, to leave and help start a church. And uh, so long story short, uh, a mentor of mine said, Jeff, as we go through these discussions and as we're praying and trying to seek the Lord on this, I want you to write down what's happening. And I said, well, okay, why do you want me to write down what's happening? He said, because there are going to be days as a pastor, if you do this deal, that you're going to question this. There are going to be some circumstances, some things that, that you bump up against. You're going to go, I am in over my head. And when those days happen, I want you to go back and read what you wrote and remind yourself that this wasn't your idea. This was God's idea. And so that's what I did. In fact, this is, this is what I wrote. It's just a little pamphlet that I wrote to myself. I even autographed it. To Jeff from Jeff. This is great. You're awesome. <laughs> and and this, is, this reminds me, okay, th- this wasn't my idea. Th- th- you know what this is? This is an altar of gratitude. That's all it is. It's an altar of gratitude. And let me tell you what it faces me on Thursday. I have to go do a funeral Thursday. A horrible situation. Horrible situation. I don't feel like I'm old enough. <laughs> I don't think I'm wise enough. I don't th- you know, and I'm the pastor that gets to speak at this funeral. Are you kidding me? Can't we find somebody that can do this better than me? Because I don't know the words to say. That's facing me on Thursday. And so you know what I'm doing on the way home tomorrow? We're flying tomorrow morning. I'm flipping through this and going, God, give me the words. I am in over my head. I have no idea how I'm going to bring comfort to this family. But God, this isn't my idea to do this. This was yours. You haven't left me. You're leading me. That's why I'm such a big proponent of journaling. And I know a lot of people don't like to journal, and that's cool. Um, I love what John Ortberg says. You can still be a Christian and not journal. I I like that, okay? But there is something about journaling that I like is that when I go back to my old journals and read things, I've reminded of how easily it is to forget God's past faithfulness. See, we think, oh, I'll never forget this. Oh, it's great. God has blessed me. And then we are overwhelmed with some kind of set of circumstances, and it's like, oh, I forgot. Oh, I forgot. That's why when I read my journal, I go, oh, God was faithful there. Oh, God was faithful there. I totally forgot that. God was faithful there. So my point is, How are you going to remember God's past faithfulness? If you don't like to write or whatever, you know, one of the things I love to do is go back to places where God has been faithful to me in the past. There's a little town in Georgia called Newburn, Georgia. Nobody, a lot of people in Georgia have never heard of it, but it has a significant place for me in my journey. And I go back to there on my birthday, March the 7th. I go back to there on my birthday for a very specific reason. But one of the main specific reasons is just to stand at this particular spot and to say, God, you're with me. You've not left me. You are leading me. It's an altar of gratitude. And again, if we don't do this, we leave ourselves vulnerable. And let me just tell you this. You know what the ultimate altar of gratitude is? It's the cross. That's the ultimate altar of gratitude, that God is for you. He loves you. He loves you so much. He sent his son to die for you, to have mercy upon you. He's with you. The trick is 
is just to remind yourself that. And when we remember this, it clears our heads and it allows us to make the next best decision. So what would it look like today if you were confident in the fact that God was not forgetting you, but he was preparing you? And when, however you answer that, just take the next best step. That's all you need to do. And that's the G in GPS, gratitude. Let's keep going. The next one is in Genesis chapter 18, the next little phase in Abraham's life. Genesis chapter 18, verse 22. And just so Jarrett knows, um, this may be good news or bad news, the, the, the clock is frozen. So right now I have, still have 24 minutes to go. And so I'm just, <laughs> we're, we're going to get out of here at about 10 tonight. It's going to be awesome, all right? So if you can order some pizza, I don't know how you want to do that. We're just bringing, the, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. We're, we're, gonna, we're almost done. Hang with me, people. All right, Genesis chapter 18, verse 22. This has to do with a conversation that Abraham's going to have with God over a city called Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, a lot of bad things happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God's thinking, okay, I'm going to have to deal with this city. And this prompts a conversation that Abraham has with God. And in this conversation, uh, it reveals something about Abraham, and it reveals something about the character and nature of God. Genesis 18, verse 22. The men, Abraham was with some men, turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, Treating the righteous and the wicked alike, far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, this is really interesting because it's kind of like Abraham's in God's face, right? Going, are you really going to do this? You're not going to do this. And God's response is fascinating. It's so fascinating. And not only is it fascinating, it reveals something about your heavenly father that you really need to lean into. Watch what he says here, verse 26. The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Verse 27. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? And then again, God's response. If I find 45 there, I will not destroy it. And then he and Abraham get in this negotiating game. It's like the price is right or something. It's just fascinating. And they get all the way down to 10. And God says, yeah, if there's 10, I won't destroy the city. Now, this is fascinating. And here's why it's fascinating for a number of reasons. See, as a father, as Jeannie said, I have two kids, a daughter who's 12 and a son who's 9. I love my kids. But I don't like it when they keep asking me for something. I mean, my my 9-year-old, he, like, you know, Every time Apple has a new product, hey, Dad, can we get the new iPad, too? I'm like, hey, you're nine, okay? You're, you're, you're not getting the iPad, too. You're, you're not. But then 15 minutes later, he's like, but, Dad, you know, if you down, download this app, it'll help you with your church. I'm like, what? No, you're not, we're not getting the iPad, too. But it's just this game he has, and I don't like that. But apparently, God likes it when you're persistent. In fact, Jesus tells the story of a judge and a widow. The judge represents God, and the widow represents you and me, and the widow just keeps constantly at the judge, persistence to finally the judge says, okay, I'll give you what you want. There's 
God enjoys it when you're persistent. Now, I think this is good news. This says something about God and about you. Here's what, he's, what this means, I think. And this is such good news. Maybe you've heard tonight that in your, in your life that God loves you. I believe that with all my heart. But you know something else? Do you know that God not only loves you, he likes you? Do you know that? And the reason he enjoys you being persistent is because it requires you spending time with him. He enjoys it. He enjoys it. He enjoys you spending time with him. You know why? Because he loves you. He likes you. He created you. I told my son just this afternoon, I said, but we were just walking back to the hotel. I said, I said, buddy, thank you for being my son. Thank you for being my son. He said, well, don't thank me. Thank my mom. She had me. <laughs> like, we had this beautiful moment together, and it was this crash. <laughs> and then I wanted to get a theological answer. Well, it wasn't your mom. It was God. And, you know, it's, but the point is this. God created you. He loves you. He likes you. He enjoys when you spend time with him. And the reason I want to say that is there's something as it relates to being persistent, that as you find yourself in a season of waiting, there's one thing that you need to do above all things as it relates to being persistent. And I was reminded of this a couple of years ago. I had the opportunity to, uh, through Chick-fil-A actually, to go meet um, Billy Graham. Uh, if you're not familiar with Billy Graham, he's an incredible preacher. He's 90 years old now. He's probably spoken to more people about Jesus than anyone who's ever lived. An amazing man. Um, he doesn't travel much anymore, so um, through Chick-fil-A, I was able to go meet him with the owner of the company at his home in Montreat, North Carolina. So a couple of years ago, I found myself outside of Billy Graham's home, goofball me, uh, knocking on his door with a sack full of Chick-fil-A sandwiches, just, just right there. <laughs> and um, so the nurse opened the door and said, Dr. Graham's in the study, you know, come, back, come on back, guys. I'm like, you know, you're walking by and you're seeing all these pictures of him and former presidents, and it's just like, uh, how, you know, I'm just, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. And so we sit down in his study, and finally I just had the courage to ask him a question. I said, well, Dr. Graham, you know, I'm a pastor, and, you know, if, above all things, it's, what, what's one thing that I should really do? Uh, and Dr. Graham, you know, he, he's kind of feeble now, but he still has that powerful voice. If you ever heard him preach, he's got that powerful, you know, southern voice. And but I heard a preacher say one time he had lunch with Billy Graham, and Billy Graham said, pass the butter. And the way he said, pass the butter, it was like revival was going to break out. Just like, it was like, <laughs> like, pass the butter. And everybody just came down the aisle, and it was just awesome. <laughs> and so he, he looked at me, and he had that great Billy Graham voice. He said, what's the number one thing you need to do? Spend lots and lots of time in prayer. Spend lots and lots of time in prayer. It blesses us and it touches the heart of God. Now, when Billy Graham tells you to pray, you pray. It's like, yes, sir. Here's my question. That's probably not the most revolutionary insight you've ever heard, you know, especially if you've been around church for a long time. But uh, let me ask you a question. As you look back on the last seven days, what did you spend more time doing? Did you spend more time on Facebook or did you spend more time praying? When you look back over the last seven days, did you spend more time watching TV or did you spend more time praying? Did you spend more time worrying and wondering if I'm ever going to have this job or have a husband or have a wife or have kids or whatever it may be? Did you spend more time worrying about that and grinding it up or did you spend more time just on your knees, just praying? I'm telling you, if we would just spend more time in prayer, I think the kingdom of God would break loose, not only in your life, 
happen in all of our lives. And if you were to tell me, Jeff, I don't know how to pray. I don't, I'm just kind of finding my way back. You just need to find the people of this church. You need to find Jared. You need to find Jeannie. You need to find Amy Lauder. You need to find everybody. And you need to you f- just say, teach me how to pray. And if you find yourself in the season of waiting, oh, be persistent. Yeah, send your resume out. Yeah, do whatever it is that you need to do. You know, but at the end of the day, pray, pray, pray. It's gratitude. Persistence in prayer. And then the final one, to close it out, we find in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. And when we get to Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, something interesting has happened. Um, Abraham and Sarah have finally have a, had a son. So the promise has, has happened. And they have a son. But then something, the, kind of the unthinkable happens in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. <laughs> this, is, this is unimaginable. This is amazing. In fact, so what you're saying, God, is now that they're out of the waiting room and now that they finally have a son, you want them to take this son and put him on the altar and sacrifice him. This makes absolutely no sense. None. It's stunning. So let me ask you this question. What would you do? And I know this is a threatening question. But hang with me. What would you do tonight if I were to ask you, challenge you, to take whatever it is that you're waiting for and sacrifice it on the altar? That career opportunity, marriage, having a family, finances, wealth, whatever it is that you're kind of hoping for, waiting for, and you're in that waiting room, what would it look like? What would you do if you were asked to sacrifice it and put it on the altar? That's what God asked Abraham to do. And watch what Abraham does. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. This is challenging. Because here's what he did. Abraham's going, you know what? This doesn't make any sense. I don't understand this. This is unimaginable. I don't understand this. But this much I do know. This God can be trusted. And I don't know why he's asking me to do this. But I'm going to do it. And you know why he did this? Because throughout those years, as he bumped into the altars of gratitude, as he was persistent in his prayers to God and the conversation we just read over Sodom and Gomorrah that was basically a prayer, he began to know something about God. And that was this. God can be trusted even when I don't understand. And here's why that's true. Abraham knew, and this is why some of us can't receive God's plans for our life, okay? And honestly, it's not God's fault. Some of us have held on and are holding on to our plans for our lives so tightly that we can't receive God's plans for our life. 
Some of us are holding on so tightly to God's, to our plans and our will that we can't receive his will and his plans. That's why God is asking you and asking me to do this. To surrender and place our plans on the altar. And here's why this is important. When you surrender your plans for you, you put yourself in a position to receive God's plans for you. And some of us tonight need to do that. You need to surrender your plans for you in order to receive God's plans for you. And it's threatening. I totally understand that. But here's what I've realized. And I'm 46, okay? I'm an old guy, almost dead, 46, okay? (laughs) Here's what I've realized. That my plans for me always, always, always pale in comparison to God's plans for me. God's plans for me are always better than my plans for me. But he's got to get me to a point where I surrender. And some of us are in a waiting room tonight because God's put us there. And he's not going to let you out until you get there. And here's the great news. Do you know what? As Abraham puts Isaac on the altar, God intervenes. It doesn't mean that if you take your dream of whatever it is that you're dreaming for, it doesn't mean that it won't happen. It doesn't mean that if you surrender wanting to get married that you'll never get married. No, no, it doesn't mean that. It just means that at the end of the day, God, I want what you want because that's the best place for me to be. So what do you do while you wait? Gratitude. Persistence in prayer, but ultimately surrender. You surrender your plans for you in order to receive God's plans for you. And as you do that, you will find that you are on the pathway of God's will and plans for your life. Now, I want you to do this this week. I don't want us to talk about it and then leave and say, hey, that was whatever. Um, I want us to do it. So, when you came in tonight, maybe on the, uh, the seat in front of you, I'd love for you to get out this little card. It's actually three stickers. Uh, if you don't have one at your chair, we'll get you one some way or some form or fashion. Um, they're the words that we went over. Gratitude, persistence, surrender. And uh, basically, these are stickers. Uh, this is high-tech, okay? High-tech, people. <laughs> Here's what I want you to do. Tonight... Sometime this week, I want you to take this gratitude sticker and I want you to put it on something that you're going to see that you're grateful for that's an altar of gratitude. In essence, what you're going to be doing is what Abram did in Genesis 12 and 13. I want you to take the sticker and it could just you know, be whatever, on whatever picture of whomever, whatever, just so that you're going to see on a regular basis so that it reminds you as you see it throughout the week, up, 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 God's not left me, God is leading me. He's not leaving me, he's leading me. Then this persistent sticker, I want you to put it somewhere that you're going to be remind, 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 mindful to say, hey, I need to be persistent in, persistent in prayer. I need to be persistent in prayer. And then I want you to take this surrender sticker. And this has been so fun. When we've done this before, I've seen pictures of, of things that people have, have put in, um, in their, their finances. <laughs> this one guy had a piggy bank. He put surrender on because he was surrendering his finances to God. Whatever it may be, I want you to find something, whatever it may be that you feel like you're holding on to. Or maybe if you're in a season of waiting, I want you to say this ultimately, God, is what I'm surrendering to you. Gratitude, persistence, and surrender. And you'll be living this
And I think as you do, God will sit up and take notice that you've chosen the truth, that you're going to believe, lean in, not that God's forgetting you, that God is preparing you. Now, let me tell you why this is so personal to me, and then we're done. Um, not only is this true from the Scriptures, but um, I saw this in my home growing up. I'm such a blessed guy. I saw this with my dad. Um, as I mentioned, my dad was a pastor, and, and one day he got a call. He was a pastor of a small church, and he got a call from a, a big church in Athens, Georgia. And uh, Athens, Georgia is a big town in Georgia. And, um, and so there's a group that said, hey, our pastor's left, and we want to introduce, interview you to be our pastor. And so they came and sat in the audience or the congregation, and they, they kind of evaluated the preaching and all that kind of stuff. And they came up afterwards and said, well, Reverend Henderson, we, we loved your sermon, and we look forward to talking to you. We're very excited about moving forward. And so my dad was really excited. It's a bigger church, bigger opportunity, all that kind of deal. And went home and told my mom, Margaret, we're, we're moving to Athens. We're moving to Athens. It's going to be great. And we're, you know, we're both Georgia Bulldogs. That's where the Georgia Bulldogs are and all that kind of stuff. So this is great. So uh, next week goes by, and the big church from Athens doesn't call him. And I don't know. I guess I'm about nine or ten at this point. Um, second week goes by, big church from Athens doesn't call him. Week three, week four, nobody calls. But I told my, I was talking to this about my, with my dad recently, and he said, who knows, Jeff, they, they still may call. It's only been 35 years at this point. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe, you know, they've had, there's, there's a candidate here, they just can't make a decision. Um, but around week four, he realized, I'm not going to the big church in Athens. It's not happening. And he was met with a profound sense of disappointment. You know, you know we pastors can have a profound sense of disappointment. <laughs> um, and he woke up and he goes, I'm, we're not going there. So what do you do? Well, he did what we talked about. He thanked God for what he did have. He was persistent in prayer and persistent in doing the very best he could at the church he was called to at that point. But then ultimately he said, God, I'm going to surrender this to you. Because I'm going to believe that you have a better plan, even though I can't see it, and I'm very disappointed. Now, my dad has an advantage over most of us, if not all of us, in the building tonight. He's, uh, he's going to be 84 in October. And my dad has begun to see the, the totality of his life and God's hand on his life. And as he looks back, he now says this, I can see it now, son. I can see it. didn't see it at the time. But now that I look back, I see that one of the worst things that could have happened is for us to go to the big church in Athens because instead of going there, we went here. And when we went here, this happened. And when we went there, that happened. And when we went there, Jeff, you met Wendy, my wife, which is really important to my dad because he loves my wife more than he loves me. Okay? <laughs> which I'm going to spend lots of money on counseling someday about that. But... But he tra traces it all back. If we went to Athens, you never would have met Wendy. Oh, you know. And now he sees it. My God is faithful and true. My job is to be grateful, to be persistent in prayer, but ultimately surrender. That's what you do while you wait. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for what you're doing here. 
And all of us at some point or time have been in a season of waiting. And as you know, I talk to so many people who that's, that's where they are right now. And it's so easy to get up and talk about for a few minutes, but it's hard to do. And so I know these are little bitty stickers and it's kind of a goofball thing. But God, I pray that you would just anoint where we put these stickers and that this would be something that would stick with us and stay with us for a long time to come. And that this would be a pattern that when we find ourselves in a season of waiting, that we would build altars of gratitude, we would be persistent in prayer, and that ultimately we would surrender to you. We know that you haven't left us. The cross is evidence of that. And so may we, as we just express our worship to you to close out tonight, tonight, we just want to express that back to you, to say thank you for the cross, thank you for your love, thank you for the fact that you like us, you not only love us, you'll like us, and that you are for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.